Hello and welcome to episode 11 of Booze, Booms and Busts. My name is Boaz Shoshan and I'm joined as ever by Sam Vockering to discuss market events over the last week and at the same time to consume and review some beers. Sam, welcome. Thank you very much for joining as ever. It has been a, an, interesting, an interesting week so far because it's been pretty bad for the FTSE uh, and yet for this P500 we're in all-time high territory all over again. It's looking good for the Dow. Europe's not looking that great uh, this week. What's your take on all of it? Yeah, it's like a um, it's a one-sided tennis match across the Atlantic, where the United States is dominating and everything else is just kind of struggling to keep up. It's 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 phenomenal. Like you say, the the FTSE struggled a little bit this week. Europe Europe is its usual basket case, and over in America, uh, what economic problem? Um, yeah, Uncle credit- Sam is uh, he's having a good time. He's just laughing all the way to the bank with his buddies because, um, yeah, all-time highs. Apple uh, becoming a two trillion dollar company. Um, I think was it, I think I saw something during the week that was like it took Apple, you know, however many decades to become a one trillion dollar company, and then in the space of about was it about eighteen months has it been since they first cracked it? Uh, it's become a two trillion dollar company. Uh, just just crazy town, man. Yeah, it's like uh, that really does put a uh, put an edge on momentum investing, right? You know, but uh, once you make yeah. it to one trillion, it doesn't take long to get you to two trillion, huh? Well, you know what? So it's a bit like that. I mean, I've 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 been involved in investing and advice for long enough, and to to have seen, you know, I remember when it was a big thing when companies became a one hundred million dollar company like that was a big thing (laughs) and then it was a big thing when companies became a billion dollar company and now you know you can you if you've got a good pitch deck you can pretty much raise a a billion from vc and you know the whole the whole thing about unicorns coming to market and how how you know being becoming a unicorn was kind of like the minimum bar for a successful um startup and and now we're talking trillion dollar companies one single company worth or well single companies apple's done it amazon's done it there'll be others to come trillion dollar companies and i think it's it's a byproduct of two things yes there's some genuine growth in these companies yes the market is a little bit as the pundits say frothy uh which is quite applicable to the fact we're drinking beers but then also surely there's surely while there's not necessarily monetary inflation uh, at a scale of hyperinflation, it almost feels like hyperinflation's kicked into the market. Yeah, yeah, in, in asset prices. In yeah, asset prices. I mean, a dollar, a dollar ain't what a dollar was before. I mean, it's definitely not, you know, it's definitely not so much that, uh, you know, it's not worth half of what it was 18 months ago. And that's why Apple's made it manage to double their valuation by any, by any measure. But I do think it is, um, the, the, there must be some, some, especially when you're comparing how a $100 million valuation was uh, used to be a really big deal, uh, and now these days it's um, it's not so much of a big deal anymore because you've got the the growth of the the unicorns. But in just in terms of that term, in fact, unicorn, and how fast it lost its meaning, because uh, I think that's something we comment on, and that's clearly not just a monetary uh, inflation phenomenon. Mm. It's it's incredible. I mean, the reason is where everyone just stops and, and thinks why we called them unicorns in the first place. The whole reason was because they were they were so rare. It was the idea of a, of a startup, a tech startup, making it to a billion dollar valuation. This was so rare, we called it a unicorn. Uh, when 
and you know but now it's uh, you know unicorn it, you know they're they're being bloody factory farmed effectively i mean the uh, we should, we should come statistic. up with a new name for it yeah i mean it's like uh well yeah factory farm farmed unicorn what would it be like uh maybe maybe, maybe, maybe we call them a new sort of uh, yeah know, uh, for one of them that's what what about a genetically model modified for more breeding Mm. Yeah, something that's just easily mass produced these days is probably maybe we, maybe we should just a, call them smartphones. <laughs> how about how about baby shams? Because if uh, memory serves, the low the logo for baby sham is a unicorn, right? Am I right, or am I misremembering that? I don't know, man. I never, I've <laughs> never had baby sham. He has never, he's never soiled his tongue with such a uh, with such a degenerate drink. I've, I've I have not I, lived. <laughs> Oh, don't worry, mate. I don't think you're missing out. It's just what uh, when I was uh, when I was when I was very young. I think it was uh, I think it was something like my. Uh, I remember. I think we were in Costco or something, and uh, I know I was about I think ten, and I applied, and we, we passed some baby shams, right? And I was like, oh, it looks like a small beer. I mean, surely you're gonna let me drink this, right? <laughs> I think my mom got them, and uh, it was very disappointing. I thought it was gonna. Like, I thought this was gonna taste taste really good, and it, you know, it was actually very forgettable. <laughs> A disappointed but, uh, ten-year-old on ba baby sham, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have we have we have mildly. Uh, yeah, I think we should just call these these cookie cutter unicorn companies baby shams. Uh, I think you know there was a there was a metric for the the sheer number of these companies that were making it to unicorn status. Yeah. And China was uh, especially uh, good at uh, sort of mass manufacturing them in a way, um, and there was also a good metric on how quickly you know, how resilient, uh, how resiliency in these companies has started to, to fail because, um, you know, the original, well, the original unicorns, when unicorn meant something, yeah. uh, you know, those actually would be able to survive, you know, and they, those and did survive uh, through some very hard times and still managed to succeed and go on. But then when there were so many companies that were just managing to get that billion dollar valuation, if they didn't manage to make it public or they didn't manage to make another level of fundraising, they would collapse. And so they'd go from a billion to zero really, really fast. So yeah, the yeah. sort of devaluation of the unicorn currency or the uh, sort <laughs> of uh, maybe, maybe the investor who has had too many baby shams, uh, it just ends up making worse <laughs> and worse decisions. I mean, I guess we, we could speak for ages on why that's happened, like with private equity firms going into it, the huge amount of uh, investment cash that's gone further and further out into the risk curve so more that more of this money going to the private equity guys um yeah but actually uh, before we before we do get on to further uh, further discussing the baby sham unicorn phenomenon we probably should say a bit about the uh, the beer that we're starting with today uh, which does actually fit this uh, this conversation a bit That's i think a we're talking about you know trillion dollar valuations this is stargazing at midnight which is a double ipa and it's made by a brewery called pipeline brewing company uh, so it's a double IPA, so uh, it does have uh, you know, a fair bit of a kick. So this is 7.5%, uh, and this is made in Cornwall. Oh, very good, very good indeed. Brewed in St. Agnes in Cornwall. What do you make of this? Uh, what do you make of this one, Sam? Well, as soon as I opened it um, before, it, it had a beautiful uh, aroma to it, a real kind of, of fruity kind of tropical aroma to it, maybe even a little bit of pineapple in there, I think. But um it's uh it's so far it's a it's quite a delight to drink and and, and initial uh, thoughts are it doesn't doesn't taste the seven point five percent that it is it's uh tastes a little bit a little bit less than that for me but you know probably by the end of it it's, it'll be 
half cut and away we go. But it's uh, it's a lovely start and I'm, I'm quite enjoying this so far. Beautiful looking, shiny sort of chrome can, but with a lovely black label with the with the stars sort of spread around it. And uh, it is, it is uh, vegan friendly, but does contain gluten. So if you uh, have a gluten allergy, you're stuffed. But uh, if you're vegan, happy days. <laughs> Yeah, I'm uh, I'm I'm uh, I'm liking this so far. I must say, uh, I would agree. It doesn't taste taste seven and a half percent. I get the impression that this is going to taste a lot heavier the further we go down it. I but think I, uh, so. Yeah. Could be incorrect. I'm hopefully going to be proven proven wrong. Uh, actually, could you tell me, Sam? This is something uh, that uh, you're you're more attuned to this kind of thing. Uh, it does have a beautiful label. I must say, you know, a nice sort of galaxy motif on the front. You know, I think maybe. What, eight years ago or something there was a time when pretty much all lots of kids clothes were, were getting this sort of galaxy motif printed on it remember <laughs> there were like kids at school who had rucksacks and stuff like that but sam on the social media sharing icons i don't i don't recognize that one beside twitter uh, it looks uh, like two oars but i think it's two bottles clinking each other. yeah that app is uh, I don't know what that is, but I I would imagine it is some sort of um, so there's I've used a few apps in the past about where you can uh, drink and share your kind of wine stories. So you know you can take a snap of the bottle and it will automatically read the label, upload the information, and then you can sort of give it a rating. And I guess a little bit like what we do here with the beers and you can, you can rate the, um, rate the wines that you drink and sort of store them on the app. I would hazard to say it's a similar sort of thing possibly for beer, but that's something that um, we should definitely investigate and have a look at because um, we, we, we may as well upload our, our ratings to that as well and and get a, uh, get an account on, on this. If it is, if it is indeed a sort of beer rating sharing app, um, but mm. definitely something I'll look into for sure. Hey, it might even, who knows, it could even be a unicorn app and we don't even know <laughs> it yet. Yeah, if it hasn't got that billion dollar valuation yet, it will soon, right? Yeah, I mean, hey, and you know what? So speaking about billion dollar valuation, so obviously when we're talking about unicorns and and these sort of tech startups that, that hit this rare number, you know, I remember sort of back in 2000 and, it was about 2012, 2013 when Uber was really getting some traction and it was it was one of the tech unicorns and Airbnb was, you know, came along and became one of the tech uh, unicorns. Uber eventually obviously going to an IPO and and I, I think, what are they like 40 something billion now? If I have a quick look, the market, uh, oh, $54 billion company. So at one point uber was a 1 billion valuation unicorn where you know some you know some investors got got a got a stake in it nice and early you know jay-z lance armstrong you know those sorts of everyday style people um and then if you know 54 times bigger now um so airbnb is finally doing its ipo which was only announced i think either just this week or might have been late last week um, and the last valuation I think on that was 31 billion. So I'm guessing we can expect Airbnb to be up there in the tens of billion when it finally actually hits the markets, which frankly, I think is ridiculous. That's pretty wild considering how hard hit Airbnb 
must be correct correct from all the lockdowns right i mean considering no one's allowed to travel and stuff i would have thought because there were a lot of people thinking that airbnb landlords would be one of the people who just get eviscerated by lockdowns yeah see i i think this might you've got to question the timing for an ipo that's basically a um a, a travel it's a travel company uh, yep. in the sense of, of of what they offer but in the current market to IPO in this market just reeks of somebody trying to get the fuck yeah. out of this company. Yeah. <laughs> like with yeah. just whatever they can, they've obviously clearly made a, a packet and it's just time to exit strategy out and let, let the punters on the open market have a field day with it. Yeah. A bit like sort of the desperation that was entering. We work when it got to that sort of uh, final absolutely. phase to the APO. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And the, 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 the problem that we work had was just, they were just couldn't get to the market fast enough. And then the, 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 the shit just unraveled before their feet. Yeah. Yeah. Masayoshi son got kicked in the teeth. Oh, didn't he? Watch? Yeah. There is a, <laughs> yeah, there was, um, it is an interesting dynamic that, um, I do. It does seem like, uh, despite the market uh, in the in America, you know, get having such a having such a good time now, the idea of taking your company public now of all times, it, you know, that why would you do it now? Um, but then with the market so high, maybe maybe that's the idea. Maybe that's uh, maybe you should ignore sort of the the, the social sentiment and stick more to. Um, and stick more with just whatever the market's telling you and whatever the, uh, you know, the investment banks are trying to help you get public are telling you because um, they'll be pretty plugged mm. into the, the data feeds. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's funny. So much of the market in the U S now, I just, I, I really struggle to get my head around the valuations that are coming out. I mean, I think I saw, was it Tesla? I mean, again, Tesla's the poster child for massively inflated stock prices because, when you look at the, the the chart and you look at the earnings and you look at their sales and you look at the growth of their sales, they're, they're, they're getting beaten in, in growth sales of growth. So, okay. Yes. They're selling more and more Teslas every year, but in terms of pure EVs, they're getting outpaced now by pretty much all their competitors. So Kia with the Nero MG with the uh, Z ZS, I think it is, or ZC. Um, but the Volkswagen ID range is going to come out and it's probably going to smash them to pieces as well. So they've got all these competitors coming in. I think they, I mean, they still make an annual loss in the hundreds of millions of dollars. So they've not turned an annual profit ever. Um, they, and, and yet, you know, when you look at the the earnings multiple, I think it's like over like 900 times earnings. I think they made it over a thousand. Over there you go, over a thousand times. It's going to take you, it's going to take more than your (laughs) lifetime to actually, if you bought in now, to see their earnings catch up to the actual valuation today. It's going to take 10 lifetimes, Um, which is just insane. And so with that, and, and this is sort of how messed up the market is right now. Remember, I think in some of our earlier episodes where, um, I think it was when we just started going into lockdown and uh zoom technologies went just took off because everyone was like oh lockdown everyone's using zoom ah zoom 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 and there was like yeah and everyone went for the wrong zoom yeah Yeah. well the same thing happened with tesla so i saw uh our fellow colleague uh kit retweeted um uh, a chart 
that another guy had put on Twitter or whatever. And so there's a company called Tesla Exploration and literally their stock price has just exploded um, on, on, on really for no good reason, but other than to assume pretty much that uh, they're, they're called Tesla. Mm. <laughs> and that it, people have just really chosen the wrong stock. Uh, it's, it's a weird market. So weird. The Tesla story is very, it is very strange. I mean, there was, um, there was a good article the other day, I think it was in Institutional Investor talking about how Tesla has become, shorting Tesla has become the widow maker trade. So there are all these periods oh, over uh, in markets where, you know, if you're shorting Japanese bonds, for example, that was called the widow maker, the widow maker trade, because people were like, these things can't get any more richly priced and yet they could. Um, and the, you know, there were several with shorting housing was uh, US housing in the run up to the crisis was a widow maker trade because for all these yeah. periods where people were sure that it was going to happen in 2006, 2007 stuff, but it didn't, it didn't happen. You went bust in the meantime. And shorting Tesla is another one of these. And I've got a lot of time for the, the, the short Tesla story. And mm. there are clearly lots of weird things going on. Uh, in terms of the weird accounting, the you know how so much of the business appears to be in effectively brokering carbon credit sales. Uh, there are some really awful stories in terms of uh, what's gone on with uh, the health benefits that uh, workers actually at the factories get. Uh, there was a you know it was just re some really awful stories uh, with um, injuries that people had had where in any other automotive auto you know auto factory in the states where you know. If, if you if you break your back right if you actually properly damage yourself in a way i mean you are at least going to get, be able to see you'll you'll at least be sent to a hospital and whatever and there are times when uh, you know with um with tesla with the way that they they really aggressively trying to defend their bottom line and reduce the bottom line um is you know they, they've ended up with people have been uh you know they've effectively been sent back to work you've got uh, <laughs> pregnant women apparently who um, you know, weren't told of the weird of that they like they shouldn't be there because there's fumes and stuff in the factory wow. that could mess around. Like, it's just awful, awful stories that you hear about it. And so, like the the short Tesla story, like I, you can see there there are well, just all of the things, all of the stories that you see on Twitter where someone's gotten a car, uh, a Tesla car, and you know it, it was it was snow. They were driving through snow or something, and now you know parts of the car are flooded and. Uh, you know, they, you put it one of these cars in the car wash, and because it's such a thin layer of paint, that one by the time it comes out, it's actually you know the the the, the paint has actually been wiped off the car and stuff. There's <laughs> all manner of these of these stories, and you can see that like, there is clearly something going on here, right? And Musk is, of course, the incredibly charismatic CEO who manages, despite you know that he makes these promises, the promises are not fulfilled but by the time that there's it's time to fulfill the promises he's got another big story to tell yeah. you and everything and with it's, the it's, EV it's like story, it's like sleight of hand it's, it's everything that you've sort of just described it's like misdirection it's like sleight of hand yeah it was shocking well yeah yeah it's oh yeah so sleight of hand is the fact that the promises aren't fulfilled but it's in you know it, it's he's the great uh you know the great showman when it comes to coming up with the next mm. big thing you know and it, and it, and it can be easy there this really banal stuff like you know making a flamethrower which is actually an acetylene torch it's just like an acetylene torch that they've like changed around or whatever yeah. and called it not a flamethrower haha so funny uh, you know and everyone's like oh man musk is so smart oh he's it, so you get aggressive <laughs> right but when when with the ev stuff when it comes to actual electric vehicles 
one of the reasons why you say there's all this competition coming and that they're they're beating him on on a lot of that, but I think one of the ways that he's uh, Musk and the company as a whole has just managed to cement itself as the Coca-Cola of electric vehicles. When people yeah. think of electric vehicles, they think of Tesla. And I think that's yeah. one of the reasons that uh, you know the company has managed to keep getting uh, going up and up and up. And uh, you know that's what investors think of when they think of electric vehicles. So even if even if the company itself is not selling as many, it's what investors are thinking about is electric vehicles. You know, it's Elon Musk. He's the one paving the way. He's the one who managed to make electric vehicles sexy again in the first place. It'll be him that drives the next uh, next old wave of it. But it does, you know, you just, you look at that and Tesla going to, you know, remember, remember the tweet, uh, what was it? Uh, considering taking Tesla private at 420 funding secured. That yeah. damn stock is $2,000. $2,000 now. Like if he had actually, like, and everyone was like, you know, there's no way he's going to be able to take a private at 420. And well, didn't uh, they just announce days, they announced the stock split when it was like 1400 or 1500 and it's, and it's yep. gone up yep. like another 80% or something since they announced the stock split. Yeah. This, and that, that's interesting because and you do wonder why the stock split happened because um, if it could be, it's sort of a meta game being played where Musk uh, knows that so much of the, so much uh, of the cheerleading for the stock comes from uh, the little guy comes from the retail investor. And so Absolutely. if you split and dilute the stock, then it, then it becomes much more feasible for the little guy to keep buying it. Maybe that's, that yeah. was it, because it definitely did rally massively off that. So maybe that's what's going on. But I, th I think that's exactly what's, what, what's happening in that sense, because there will be a lot of investors out there that are simply priced out of uh, one stock in Tesla because they can't front the $2,000 to buy one stock. Yes, there are plenty of apps and, and, and out there now where you can buy fractions uh, of stock. But in terms of owning a whole stock, and, and to be fair, Amazon's the same. Amazon's uh, over 3,200. Um, they're, they're priced out. And so stock splits for these companies, I think are predominantly more about getting even more retail investors onto the books. Um, mm. In Tesla's case, I... It, it, it screams to me like they want even more of the Robin Hood trader to be, to be gobbling up their stock. And so I, I genuinely think it's it, carefully thinking about what I say, but I, I just, I don't think the motives to, for the stock split are, are as cut and dry as, as they might appear to be to the regulators. Mm. Yeah. It's a, uh, yeah, the, the, it is an enigma. I was, I, I spoke to a pretty, uh, a while back, I, 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 talked to, I spoke to a pretty prominent Tesla bear, uh, it would have been last year now. Um, and, you know, he, this guy has been pretty much, very much uh, open and on the record saying that uh, he thinks Tesla is a zero. And this is just an absolutely massive fraud. Uh, but one thing he said about it, which I, which kind of resonated with me is that, you know, if, if Tesla is a fraud and there is really big fraud, um, like, you know, we're talking, you know, it is on the level that the bears say that it is. One thing he said was that this is what everyone is going to remember about what of the bull market. This is going to be the, this is what everyone looks back on 10, yeah. 20, 30, 40, 50 years time. And this will be the story of this downfall. 
will be what everybody remembers and that and it will it will taint the memories anyone has of the good times in the bull market uh, you know just <laughs> similar with similar with enron where it's like this this bad stuff was going on in the background all of that time you know all of the sentiment people were overlooking you know real criminal uh, criminal activity uh, and so his take on that um you know it's it's not I can still, I can, you know, I can still imagine because the, the, the way all of this stuff uh, is going on, all of the strange stock market activity uh, and how everyone's gotten sucked, in, sucked into sort of retail trading and stuff when it comes to uh, during lockdown, just because it's locked down because they want something to do. It does, it, it does suggest to me that, you know, there is a, there's something going wrong, but that, that, but it is a way to make a trade. I mean, the, the oh, number, great. the amount of money that has been lost trying to trying to bet against this is not it's just not yeah. something you I, I would want to do i've i've lost track of the amount of times i've said that tesla's overvalued i said they were overvalued at 250 dollars, and then i look like an idiot now i mean i and, and my my contention has always been they're more like that they're, they're more appropriately sized to ferrari than they are to any other car company in the world ferrari's yeah. about ferrari's about a 40 45 billion dollar company um if te for Tesla to, to to head back down south to that level would be one of the great market capitulations of uh, this bull market. And you're right. I, I don't disagree. There's value in Tesla because they make a decent product. It's not the best. And, and uh, you know, the, the, the car rating agency, JD Power, did a reliability study that they do every year on all the major manufacturers. Um, Tesla's never participated for... They, they have a number of reasons. You can find this out on JD Power's um, website about why Tesla don't necessarily uh, participate, allow, allow their cars to participate and or they don't meet a lot of the criteria for certain reasons because of that. But JD managed to get their hands on enough Teslas to at least include them in a, in a, in a sort of ranking um, with all the other car makers uh, and Tesla came plumb last. And you know these JD Power rankings on reliability are, are are quite renowned and have been amongst the industry for a long time. You know the companies like Lexus are always sort of up there. Um, interestingly, Chevrolet I think is, is usually quite high, but Tesla was just plumb last. Um, and it just it says a lot that I th you're right. The the they are the Coca Cola of of EVs. When people think EVs, they think Teslas. When they think EV charging, they think the supercharger network. Um, that's 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 how powerful. I think Tesla's a great case study as well on how powerful first mover advantage can be in a market when it's a market that has notoriously high barriers to entry. But if you can crack that barrier and be a first mover that really shakes it up, the 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 power of that for for a stock and, and for, for the valuation of stock is is just intense and there's it doesn't just switch off overnight it, it will switch off I, I i just i don't know when and i'll probably continue to be wrong about tesla but there is just absolutely no way uh, i can see a justification for a 382 billion dollar car company that makes um you know half half a million i don't even think they make half a million cars a year um, that's, that's, that's an inferior product to their competitors, that competitors have much greater supply chain, can undercut them on prices, um, provide a better car, will provide better aftermarket service. Um, 
and it just it just and and you and then when you look at the chart you look at tesla's chart and we know how we know how bubbles work and nothing goes up forever not even bitcoin goes up that hard and fast and doesn't come crashing back at some point in time uh there's there is a day of reckoning to come for tesla and for the tesla stockholders I, I, every day it keeps doing this is another day closer to that reckoning because it just cannot continue. Tesla cannot be a $1 trillion company. If Tesla becomes a $1 trillion company, I might just give up everything to do with the markets because that would make no sense. And it's not, it's scarily not that far away from being a trillion dollar company. Yeah, now, now you say that, Sam, uh, considering how we started this conversation, now you say that, damn, uh, yeah, it, is, it is almost plausible now. Um, Isn't that yeah, terrifying? Well, that that actually is, terrifies yeah. me that Tesla <laughs> at $382 billion is only a stone's throw away from being a $1 trillion company. Certainly, if it move, that, keeps moving at this rate, I mean that's uh, mate. I tell you what, that is petrifying. That's pretty horrifying, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but on, the, on that note, we are we are drinking the right beer for that because uh, you know if you think Tesla stock's unaffordable now, um, stargazing at midnight, I mean uh, you really would be looking at quite a bill just to why one share got to one trillion. To, although it depends on the stock splits, I guess. But Sam, how would you rate this beer? <laughs> Yeah, so it, it it started to get a little bit heavier for me as 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 it continued on, kind of like what we I suppose estimated uh, would be the outcome. Uh, nonetheless, I, I've I've enjoyed it a lot. Uh, it's a good you know the combination of hops. We should also probably I, I should note down the combination of hops uh, for each uh, for something like these um, double IPAs and that. So that we we should sort of chart and see if there's a commonality in the ones that we like and a particular combination of hops. Yeah, that's a good idea. I've not um, seen London 3 before. Um, oh, oh, no, no, that's the yeast. London that's 3 the yeast, that one. So the hops we got here is Citra, Azaka, Azaka and, and Nelson, Nelson Sovin. Citra is very common from the ones we've C had. Citra is in a lot of IPAs. Uh, but no, look, I enjoyed that. Um, that that was that was pretty easy to drink. I've been talking a lot, so it's been actually slow to drink. But it's got a great taste. Um, it's consistent. It is pretty heavy at seven point five percent, and it doesn't taste it straight away. And that might have something to do as well that I had it pretty cold. But then, as you get through it, it certainly does get a bit heavier. But I enjoyed that a lot. Um, I actually enjoyed that a lot enough. I think that I might give this a double B rating. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I think I would. I would concur with that. I think for me, it is a double B minus. It does get that sort of heavier, thicker um, element at the very end. But in terms of overall, I think it's very refreshing and it tastes really good. So uh, yeah, I think that's a double B minus for me. In terms of what we've got next now, uh, it is another double IPA. In fact, and this one is called Further by Verdant Brewing Company. Verdant is uh, quite prolific, uh, pretty well known. They've got uh, a lot of uh, sort of a lot of uh, street cred, I suppose. Uh, but this one is called Further, and it is an eight uh, percent double IPA. So, and it is you know it's perfect, uh, perfect double IPA. In fact, as it is eight percent, as uh, as a session IPA should be only up to four percent so this is right on the bottom you know the mm -hmm. last one we had the stargazing at midnight 
it was double IPA, but seven and a half percent. And you would the sort of the standard that you would expect would be for it to be eight percent rather. But this one is eight percent. In terms of the hops, we've got Sultana hops in this one, which is interesting. Uh, which I don't think I've had before. And this one uh, is also vegan friendly, of course. And this is Brutenkant in the UK Penrin Trio. No, all right, and what? Penrin. So I don't actually know where Penrin is actually, but uh, well, let's give it a go. Yeah, it's got a pretty jazzy label, I must say. It has got a pretty jazzy label. It reminds me of um, the Yellow Close Submarine. Um, yeah, the the Yellow Submarine uh, uh, from the Beatles. That that sort of film clip that you kind of sometimes yeah. see, or that that kind of artwork. Yeah, that uh, type, that typeface. It's kind of pretty, sort of eighties, I guess. Um, nah, seventies, maybe even sixties. Yeah, oh yeah, must have. Before oh, yeah, my groovy. time. Yeah, groovy. I was right. born in the eighties, so that's 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 too groovy for eighties. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I'm uh, I'm probably too young to be making such a making such a comment. But yeah, what do you make of it? Okay, so um, I haven't actually had a sip, so I'm gonna finish. I'm gonna have a sip, so maybe uh, you can let us know what you think of it so far. Well, I must say this thing does smell pretty interesting. It's almost uh, to me, it almost smells. It's almost. It reminds me a lot of biltong, the way biltong smells. You know, like the the South African dried meat. Yeah. Uh, pretty, uh, pretty sort of uh, carnivorous in a way. Pretty. Uh, yeah, that's it. That's got a meaty smell about it. Yeah, quite beefy. Uh, but no, it tastes tastes all right. Um, Nothing, yeah, nothing, nothing crazy. It doesn't taste eight percent, that's for sure. Uh, it's maybe got a slight, there's maybe some slight aftertaste, which I'm not a huge fan of. Uh, but it is light for what it is, uh, so uh, we'll we'll see how it how it progresses. I think. Yeah, I think that that might that might sneak up on us this one. Yeah, at eight percent, and you're when you when you sort of start when you drink it. it, it it, it is it's it, it tastes light there's it's not particularly heavy and it goes down quite easily and i feel that by the end of this you'll kind of be like i'll, I'll be like ah oh, i'm 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 quite drunk <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe you mate <laughs> there's hey, something i on, get I'm, from this i'm a father of, <laughs> a, of an 18 month old i don't i don't drink as much or the volume that i used to because um, oh mate I, I thought that i thought those things normally went together pretty well drinking and having a young child yeah i thought having the young <laughs> child generally causes you to, to consume more alcohol but i have no experience so i could comment well i see it it, it it you'd you'd think it does but then when you have enough mornings when you're up and about and uh, at about six six o'clock six thirty in the morning um the last thing you want is to be hanging out of your eyeballs um, right. having having done that enough times without having a child to uh to then tend to um it's not something you want to make a a, a habit of a, a habit of <laughs> so yeah, um a couple couple of these these strong ones and then maybe a cheeky peroni is usually what uh would be more than enough for me to get things going <laughs> yeah that's fair enough i think uh, that sounds uh, sounds about right for me the more i'm drinking this the more it smells like built on like this is this is not i've never I've never drunk a beer that uh, that that you know really does it does smell like, and the more it smells like that, the more kind of it tastes kind of like biltong as well, which is really quite strange. Verdant, that that brewing company, um, they have been pretty hit or miss for me in the past. While they've got a, they're they're very prolific and very well known in sort of the craft space, uh, it has been hit or miss. So I'm wondering how this one how this one's actually going to turn out. But in terms of uh, getting back to getting back to the markets, 
does seem interesting, this sort of American exceptionalism uh, dynamic we've got going on. It seems par for the course, I suppose, considering how things have been in recent times. But, you know, after the financial crisis, there was this big, uh, you, know, uh, well, you know, once the dust had really settled, there was a big boom in, uh, you know, in Asia and in frontier markets as well. Yeah. As, as people started questioning whether or not the US was a good uh, destination for investment capital, considering the, uh, the financial crisis. But since, you know, that was in sort of the early mid 2010s. Now, uh, it seems like we're really just getting back to getting back to business with the US being the center of the world when it comes to uh, where everyone places their places their money. What do you make of that? You know, it's, it's just so much about what the US markets are doing right now, which really terrifies me in a way that I'm not quite sure how to comprehend because when you like, when you, when you look at all the, the, the charts, you, you see this, the, the run, the, basically the run from early 2009. So after the, the, the last massive crisis, it's in March, 2009, the bottom March. Yeah. March, 2009 was pretty much the bottom of that. And the run up, particularly in the NASDAQ from there over the last 12 years has basically gone vertical now. And every time I look at the NASDAQ composite um, and, and, and just try and I try, I try and reconcile with myself as an investor, where do I want to place my capital? And, you know, I think about future industries and future technologies and my, you know, having sort of had a bit of a specialty in looking at the, the tech industry over time, you know, you think about all the critical parts of our connected modern world that require different technologies from semiconductors, different ways, uh, software, cloud services, uh, networking, um, and, and then, you know, technologies that are sort of more recent to this space, like, you know, blockchain and um, 5G connectivity and, and in increases and in, in, in adaptations and iterations of, of different um, networking technology like that. That's all going to continue on. But the, the speed and acceleration in the sort of wider market is just terrifying. I can't, I, 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 you can sort of, I don't know if you can put, kind of grasp my, my utter state of confusion with what's happening. I just don't, I wouldn't, I don't think I would want to be putting money into the, the U S market right now because I just cannot see how it can continue to go parabolic. Like it currently is, you know, it's not only is the NASDAQ, significantly higher from the the bottoms that we saw in March out of the back of the coronavirus crisis. It's significantly higher than the highs that we had before the market crashed from sort of February to March. So it's completely ignored everything that's gone on in the US economy and around the world and marched onto higher highs without even blinking. And none of that, None yeah. of that makes any sense. I think, uh, I think I, you know, I, while I agree hundred percent in terms of the, the sort of the broader sentiment that you're reflecting, um, well, that you're, that you, you're sharing, 
on your on your broader investment view. I do think that um, we, it's important for some context in terms of the actual indices that we're discussing, right? So, you know, in terms of how much, uh, which stocks have really benefited the most from all of this um, huge surge that we've had uh, during the lockdown, right? Um, it does, it, it, like all of that has accrued just to a few companies. And it's just gone to the, you know, really just the internet stocks, right? I mean, it's gone to, you know, Amazon, it's gone to Apple uh, and well, or, or tech stocks, of course, because we're talking about Tesla as well. But in terms of the, you know, the big, uh, the big tech companies, because if you're talking about parking your capital in the US, I mean, you can park your capital in the US and you can put it into, you know, home building stocks in the US. You can put it, you know, if you look at the, the Russell 2000, so you're looking at the, uh, you know, the, the, the smaller aspect of the American stock market, you know, the, the performance hasn't been anything like uh, anything like the NASDAQ. I mean, you were, you, if you, somebody said, um, you know, what, what country is this? And they didn't, didn't actually show you what, uh, what, what chart you were really looking at. I think it would be, um, you know, I think it would be, it'd be harder for you to, to say where it was actually coming from because the Russell 2000 hasn't recovered in the same uh, to its, uh, you know, to, to the highs it was at, at the beginning of the year. And those highs at the beginning of the year weren't actually as high as, um, you know, as you know, a year before that. Right. So I think it's, um, I think it's harder to, if you say it really just seems to be a very, it's not niche, but it is a very specific sector of America that has actually exploded. And, and it's really, it's a, it, you know, it's like the NASDAQ, for example. But if you're looking at the smaller, small caps in America, like, you know, the Russell 2000, those have not done well at all. In fact, if you look at the way that the charts behave post-March, it hasn't recovered, let alone made all-time highs. So, I mean, it's, it's still lower than it was at the beginning of the year. Uh, and it looks much more like, um, you know, other developed nations that are not the U.S. You know, the, if you look at that, the, the charts for the, the stock markets, um, in you know in other developed countries which aren't America, you will see that you know they've they've dumped a huge amount in March. They bounced a bit, uh, but mm. they still have yet to to recover to where they were at the beginning of the year. And, that, and that's the same here in the UK, uh, and it's also the same for the Russell 2000. So these small caps, it's only these really big tech companies, you know, these sort of Coca Colas of the tech space, um, if if you can say that these really large ones uh, which have managed to really harness. Uh, technology and, uh, and the internet especially and with, with tesla you know great marketing almost those are the ones that have absorbed as much of it so there are still in terms of valuations you can go to america and you can find low valuations if you look in the smaller cap sector and they're, they've been punished you know hard mm. uh, it's only these massive uh, you know these tech titans that now sort of rule the world or uh, or are you know at least a very big very big and influential part of uh, the, the stock market now anywhere uh, that uh, that have really absorbed so much of this uh, so much investor capital over this period so here's here's the thing right i i i completely i agree with that and and there's been a lot of description sort of flowing around about a lot of markets in an l-shaped recovery sort of like an yep. l leaning a little bit back on its axis um if it it, it and sort of on when you look at it, it looks like the tech stocks and it looks like the, the valuations that are getting thrown around and the, the concentration in that really, really big end of the tech market and, and the NASDAQ in, the, in particular. It looks a lot like what happened in the late 90s. It looks like another kind of dot-com bubble. 
if yeah. that is the case and a lot of these other uh, indices, you know, consumer staples, industrials, commodities, whatever, haven't had that same bounce and, and explosion to, to higher heights. If we do see another bust, tech bust in the US market, do you think that that ripple effect out through all the rest of those markets drags them back down even more, sort of even further from what we saw in March? Or do they sort of become then the hedge against the tech kind of another tech bubble? I'm I'm not quite sure the answer to that, to be honest. That, yeah, I, yeah, there are, there are lots of ways we can come at that. So of course we can look to the last tech bust and see whether or not uh, that was, whether or not that, that really whacked the rest of the, uh, or whether or not it whacked the rest of uh, the US market. But then at the same time they had 9-11 uh, and then, you know, it all, it also coincided True. together with the recession and everything, True. Uh, which began in that year. And that was, you know, when sort of everything went wrong was 2001. But, um, well, though of course, you know, dot com, dot com bus was was other than that, but I think that might muddle muddle the data a little bit. I would suggest that since then, uh, since that period, uh, considering the weighting that uh, U.S. tech now has in so many people's portfolios, yeah, I w- I would actually think that if we do get a bust in tech, so you're you're talking about, um, you know, you're talking about a big big correction in these I'm really like big names. I'm like 50% correction. Right. 50%. Okay. I mean, I'm thinking this is be, that becomes such a big correction and it, there's so many people having their portfolios that this then becomes a financial risk due to the amount of margin and the amount mm. of collateral calls that you're going to get from that. So that that crash would migrate very quickly into the banking, the banking sector. Yeah. And I think that would then trigger uh, you know, margin calls everywhere else, but it also mean a uh, a restriction, a contraction in bank lending to all of those small mom and pop, you know, businesses, and all of simply those smaller caps, mid caps that have just been completely forgotten about. In which case, those guys would get crushed even harder. Um, which you know, when you think about it, uh, you know, you wouldn't think that's really very fair, is it? Right? You know, if investors are getting massively or loading up hugely and creating a bubble in tech stocks, why is it that all of these other businesses that are just doing you know, pretty, pretty honest work and they're, you know, they're just not as sexy as Amazon is, you know, why, why do they end up getting bashed? But it does feel to be that, it, you know, in a way, it feels like that is simply what would happen. It feels to me quite, um, quite uh, you know, sort of, re- you know, almost realistic that that would be what would happen is these big names get hit and as a result, everyone else gets, uh, gets whacked as a, as, a, as a consequence of that. Uh, I, yeah. yeah, I would think, if you're talking about a 50% so. hit, and considering the amount of leverage, and you're thinking about the amount of credit lines, especially when it comes to uh, some of these tech names like Tesla, which uh, do rely an awful lot on uh, borrowing cash, so there's a big contraction there and a big contraction in the stocks as well. I would think that would that would ripple across the entire economy. That's where a stock market problem becomes where you know where people say the stock market isn't the economy. I think this is a this is where the stock market would have an economic impact ultimately. Yeah, I, th- I think I think you're right. I think it because it's it's such a significant part now of 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 just in, investment markets all across the world and and, and capital would, markets and capital yeah. markets. Yeah, absolutely. And the the ripple effect. I think I think it would have a a, a complete utter 
global ripple effect. I think that in that case, there would be sections of the market that wouldn't get smashed as hard, but would still get that, get, you know, a, you know, maybe 20, 30% yep. sort of clip rather than sort of 50 or, or, or more from there. And, and, and then, you know, at that point, it, it, it does becomes a banking crisis. And then it becomes, you know, because it becomes a, uh, a, a generation sort of crisis in terms of what happened in 2008. So a lot of people with pensions and at the point of retirement, unluckily around the point of retirement then that saw the value of their pensions and their, their retirement savings absolutely decimated that they had to continue to work longer than they had anticipated that they would continue to work. And so it has, uh, it has flow on effect and knock on effect to, to everything from employment um, right through to, to, to banks and, Retirement, and how, yeah. how they lend and, and that as well. I would worry. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so quick to think it would in immediately definitely mean a banking crisis rather than simply a, a, a big contraction in, in banks uh, in their lending operations. And so just making them, much much tighter with money you know uh, but in doing so so when we're looking at the small caps and small cap stocks i mean yeah i mean those those would get hit by a sort of a liquidity squeeze when people are Definitely. selling stuff that they need to sell yep. but at the same time those bu those businesses themselves what i'd be more worried about is the businesses themselves getting less revenue as a result of uh, of the of this sort of credit contraction ultimately um yeah i mean now it is a well, so you know what, right? So, yeah, so we, that you, you just when you, you when you mentioned that, when you talk to talk about a, a sort of credit contraction and, and things like the banks having to be maybe more more better capitalized, and uh, so so when we think when you go back to two thousand and eight, one of the massive flow on effects from that was the requirement from regulators that banks have uh, higher capital uh, requirements in terms of making sure that they were uh, not going to become a systemic risk to the entire banking system. I wonder now if the tech sector in, well, Becomes in a the systemic US, risk. The, the tech sector is a systemic risk to, uh, the, to the financial system. Too and, big to fail. And, uh, is tech too big to fail? Is tech too big to fail? Right? And, and you think about it, like the, the banks used to be the biggest companies in the world and they're, they're not. They're not. They're, they're small fry now compared to these tech companies. And a lot of these tech companies are even operating starting to operate or trying to operate like banks and apple is particularly one of them uh, they've obviously got their apple card and the credit card and then what you might have seen recently as well is this whole kickoff with epic games uh yeah. and apple and this big stoush between uh the, the fortnite one of the biggest games in the world is made by epic games and epic um, tried to circumvent Apple's payment system through the App Store by being allowing people to direct pay to Epic as opposed to paying through through Apple. And Apple kicked them off the App Store. Google retaliated as well and kicked them out of the Play Store. And so now Epic Games are basically going head to head with Apple and Google about you know some of the practices around. Um, so this is this is that that story. That's probably for an, maybe next week's podcast because that in its own right is one of the very very big stories of this year that is not really getting covered in the in the in the uh, i guess importance that it needs to be but i genuinely think now that these these big companies uh, i mean so i ordered a papa john's pizza the other day and i went to pay i didn't have my wallet on me i was sitting on the couch and when i went to pay the options were paypal uh you know your debit card amazon pay 
And I was like, oh, so I can just click on that and it links through the payment that's connected through my Amazon account. So these tech companies, Google, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, they're developing the, obviously the, the Libra cryptocurrency or part of the development of the Libra crypt, cryptocurrency. Tesla, I would imagine will start uh, doing payments within their car and within <clears throat> their ecosystem pretty soon as well. Netflix and the way they operate their subscription model, Spotify, all these sort of subscription companies as well. I genuinely think they have all now become a systemic risk to the entire financial system and banking system. And I think I would, I wonder if they'll get treated the same as the banks were uh, in 2008 and whether or not that comes before a wreck or if we see a tech wreck and then that comes after it. It's, it's, it's weird. They, mm. they, if, like you say, if they, if there is a, if there's a crash, if there's a, a bubble that gets popped and it, and it happens in tech, that's going to see a lot of markets, a lot of economies shit themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, again, uh, with so many of these things, we could, we could come at that in so many different ways. Uh, mm. And uh, we, are, we are, we are running a bit uh, lower on the, on, on time, but I think, I think is, is bear, uh, bear thinking about with, I do, I, I personally, I wouldn't think that, um, you know, if these companies went bust, that this would create a financial crisis in that people needed to pay for things and they couldn't pay for things. Um, so I think I, I feel less so it would actually be a financial crisis on that side in terms that people are needing these bank, the, well, the, the banks, these, these tech companies and their fintech concerns as well. Uh, they're, they're requiring them to, to operate. I worry more on in terms of the how much investors have relied upon them to generate any kinds of returns. And when it comes to uh, you know pension funds and the like, you know, they, this is this is the. Um, you know, this is the, the, the golden goose that was laid post 2008 that's managed to keep on giving. You know, I was speaking to a fund manager recently um, about, uh, you know, this guy about antitrust uh, uh, legislation and breaking up big tech. And this guy was uh, pretty, pretty much a big fan of it considering the huge amount of influence these companies now have. He, he thinks yeah. that you know, the government should come in here, they should smash these things and make them compete against each other and things like that. Now I'm now I'm very very wary of this because uh, I don't I don't see I don't see a lot how this is actually going to lead to a better outcome because uh, I think the government's ultimately just going to try and subvert all of the advantages and all the influence that the tech companies have. But that that's sort of a, a topic for a separate discussion. But one of the things I was thinking as I came out of that is the amount of damage it would do if tech stopped getting better. Right. So, and if these tech companies stopped investing and stopped innovating as well, because if you think about it, so I'm a, I'm a fellow, I'm not that young, but I'm relatively young. And post 2008, for like the millennial generation, what industry, what sector could you actually rely upon to, to provide employment and to continue to provide employment that you could really bet on? Carrying, continue to pro provide employment and to provide benefits, etc., uh, and to give you give you a job, give you a lifestyle, um, and you know what what boat could you tether yourself to that you could really be sure of that would continue to deliver post two thousand eight, and really the only one that I can really think of is uh, that was actually really hiring, you know, that was still expanding, is is just the tech sector. So mm. if you're if you're a young fella post two thousand eight. 
you're, you want a job and you want a reliable job and you're not working for the state to some degree and you know, post 2008 was austerity so there would, there, would be, there would be less uh, hiring there anyhow. Um, and if you don't work for a bank because they were similarly trimming their numbers as well, you know, if in terms of an actual expanding sector that you could mm. bet on that would keep paying you money and that would kind of keep your, you know, the American dream afloat, it would just be tech and, in, and the internet in, in general. So just the internet industry, that was the thing that you would, that, that, was, that has been reliable over the past 10 years, uh, 10 years plus to, uh, to, you know, to continue to provide employment, to continue to provide returns for investors indeed, because everywhere else, if you're looking outside of tech, this becomes a much different, a much different ball game. So if you, so if the government starts smashing this industry, and or and or, if there is suddenly a massive crash in that industry, mm. this to me this is like the last golden goose. Like this is the thing that has not only kept uh, pension funds going because they've managed to make great capital gains. Well, it's not the only thing, but it's one that one of the main things has managed to you know get get those returns going for pension funds. It's one of the other things that's kept employment and, uh, and you know, uh, sort of, uh, you know, the, the increases in wealth for the millennial generation going. And, uh, and it's, you know, it's one of the other things that for investors much more generally than just pension funds, you know, this is what everyone is looking to as the future. If this gets hit either by the government smashing it or by, uh, you know, becoming a bubble and then crashing and causing a huge amount of uh, contraction in the space, we, you know, this is that that that's the end of that golden goose. That's that post two thousand eight golden goose. It's suddenly gone. What sector do people look to that is going to provide them employment and going to pl- provide them investor returns? And uh, I find it I find it hard to imagine. I'm using a lot of generalizations here when I'm saying this is the last golden goose. Obviously, other sectors have, have innovated and done well. But just broadly, I think um, I think that is that, that would be something that would really really screw the the millennial generation uh, broadly is if yeah. uh, the internet stops growing and if internet stocks become uh, targets of the state if and if in a, internet innovation gets stagnated somehow due to state intervention uh, or indeed by a market contraction and then banks uh, refusing to lend or or reining in their lending much more to these to these uh, businesses if that happens you know if that actually if that if that's the case uh, you i think yeah, the the uh, the amount of people who have tethered their lifestyles to that, and it has provided them a lifestyle. If you bring that away, that that would be, um, I think, it's something that was going to re- that would really inflame the sort of generation war and all the antagonism now between boomers and millennials and things like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on. I think uh, it's a great question. You know, what if if it does, if it is the great, <laughs> the last great golden goose what what what's there next and i don't i think it's one of those things where i i can see there being somewhat of a capitulation in the market because of these again it's it's this phenomena of investors seeking i think it's also a byproduct of investors just trying to seek returns wherever they can and when everyone's trying to seek returns at the one time it, it, it kind of finds its way to the market because there's just nowhere, there's not a lot of other places that you can find sufficient investment return growth. Yeah. Because, yeah. because of, 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 of effectively free money. 
um, and, and money printing. So that in its own right, I think has pushed markets to a point. And, but you're right, you know, who, who, who employs, who employs the, the millennials, who employs the kids that are 15 years old now and then five years will be looking for a job. It's likely going to be tech uh, that are uh, significant em employers. But I think that what we'll probably end up with is historically tech has been very internet based very app kind of economy based. And so that when we think of tech, we do think of the e-commerce and we think of everything that's sort of internet related. But I think we're also now in a decade where the, the term tech, when you're talking about a sector of the market, probably isn't right because that applies to every industry. You think about the kind of technology that's involved in mining and and the and resources you think about tech that's involved in everything from energy to um even even just uh, uh, consumer goods and consumer staples and uh, manufacturing um even housing T technology has this sort of way of permeating and 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 inf infiltrating all industry and it just sort of i think I think we get maybe a bit too focused on the idea of tech being the Amazons and Netflix and Spotify's, but yeah, right. it is so applicable to other industry that I, I think there's, there's enough support there that if these kinds of Googles and Amazons that employ and apples that literally employ millions of people around the world were to have some testing times again, which they, a lot of them had in, in that, that sort of dot-com bust. Um, I think there would be sufficient support now because of the way that we can connect through, you know, hyperconnectivity, whether it be current 4G and the next, you know, generation 5G or then uh, other sort of uh, evolutionary uh, steps in that kind of connectivity. It's not necessarily internet based so much more now that all industry is effectively tech uh, or has an element of tech to it. And so while kids, I could say kids, but you know, well, 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 you grow up in a world of technology, then you quickly find that it exists all around you. You know, the idea of social media managers, you know, wasn't a thing really a decade ago. Every company has one now, has multiple social media managers. You know, you could be a social <laughs> media manager for for a beer company. Um, and who, who would have thought about that, right? So there are, there are ways in which there are sufficient catch nets, I think, when these kinds of crashes happen. And that's not to say that the, if we had another sort of dot-com era style thing that, that Amazon and, and Google and Apple would die because they make and they develop and they deliver things that are useful for people. But I certainly think that one of the big themes, and it comes back to that point you were talking about, about the sort of, unease and unrest between younger and older generations. I think there's a, there's still a quite a bit of social unrest to work our way through for the next few years. Um, yeah. The idea of I, I, de decentralizing power away from these big tech companies is probably more important than anything that will probably serve the next decade. Yeah. Yeah. It does. It does feel to me that, um, 
when the state does it, it feels that it feels inevitable that the state will intervene. Mm. Uh, and yet, at the same time, I feel that when the state does intervene, it, it's going to it will uh, create uh, dysfunction within these industries that is going to lead to lower employment and low and ultimately lower returns for investors, you know, lower uh, lower capital efficiency. Ultimately, uh, I think, uh, and so it's sort of a sort of a grim fate. I I, I see. Uh, to some degree, is uh, you know just something that we're going to we're going to we're going to see what what it'll do to the to the stock market will be interesting um, mm. because of course when you uh, when they smashed Standard Oil that was actually a really bullish opportunity for Standard Oil investors so if they if they smash these big ones maybe maybe that'll be a similar bullish story but Sam however we have uh, we have gone on for for quite we a while we have gone on we we've gone deep <laughs> indeed and uh, well we have we have gone further as as this beer indeed. Would, would suggest what how would you rate further because i think this is uh, this is kind of an enigma um for me yeah i i i don't know where to place this i i have not had a drink i've not i've not had a sip of this while we've been talking, which I haven't hated, but I haven't loved it, but I have continued to drink it. And I think I'd still be able to drink it for, you know, at least another, another one or maybe more. I, I think so. It is heavy, but I actually found it easier to drink uh, than the stargazing, which is strange because it does it does it does at your sort of first instance sort of taste a bit heavier um you're right i i see what you mean when you call it an enigma maybe they should call it the further enigma um if they're <laughs> thinking about rebranding not that they listen to us but anyway um i I'm, I'm i'm i didn't love it but i didn't hate it and i guess that means i've got to sort of it sort of sits in that weird kind of middle range i think i'd give this a b plus hmm yeah, that's interesting. For me, uh, I, I feel that we, I feel similar to yourself, where I didn't hate it and I didn't love it either. Um, and it is, it is, it doesn't taste eight percent. So there is that. No, not does at all. A, no. I think that there's an, there's an aftertaste with this that I would generally, um, uh, I generally expect this to come from uh, the use of lactose in the beer, but I don't actually see lactose in the ingredients. Uh, which uh, is which is interesting. Maybe it I'm, may be the Sultana I'm, hop that uh, we were, we oh, were quite, querying quite over early on. Maybe it's those Sultana hops, but yeah, for me, it, I I wouldn't want to have another one. I don't think it tasted fine, and it you, you know definitely had a lot worse, obviously. But the I wouldn't <laughs> think that this is the uh, I would not I wouldn't think this is the bee's knees. I wouldn't want to have that. I wouldn't want to have another one. So I think for this, I would rate it. I think I'm going to give it an A minus. I think that'll be an A minus for me. Um, though it does have quality. An A minus isn't terrible. So uh, I think that, that'd be my rating for it. But in terms of, uh, is there any, any closing comments, Sam, that you'd like to give for this week? Um, yeah. Do you know what? The one thing that I was thinking about when we were talking about investors and uh, investors not being able to get into a stock and then one of the one thing that I've sort of picked up on and and people who I've seen sort of bandied about recently is the idea of maybe uh, it's not too long before stocks become money because money and the rampant money printing that's been going on is kind of devaluing money and 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 right now there's a lot of questions about what money is and I'm just going to throw this out there and suggest that pretty pretty soon you'll be able to use fractions of stocks. 
as money. Just, as just legal, something to legal sit tender. on. And Would I be able to pay my taxes with it? I genuinely think you'll be able to jump over to Sainsbury's or uh, the co-op and grab a pint of milk. And when you tap your phone to the register, you'll have the option to pay with a little slice of your portfolio. And there will be ramifications of that. But that's the kind of innovation I think is going to come when we start to see these kinds of stocks like Tesla being worth a trillion dollars in the near future. Watch this space. Um, <laughs> and that, 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 that when people say the market's not the economy, there's a very good chance the market will become the economy in that situation. So uh, just something to, to, to sit on and ponder for the next week um, while, we, uh, while we consider what we're going to do for next week's show. Yeah, it is a. Uh, it does feel like it would be really cool if that happened. Certainly, uh, I thought it would definitely lead to all manner of crazy speculation. I mean, just you know, imagine when people were hiking their prices for loo roll during the uh, the big flu <laughs> hysteria. Can you imagine the kind of strange gyrations you'd see in the stock market when people started unloading on you know whatever the uh, whatever the the stock market darling of the day was. In order to buy a loo roll, and how uh, you know bear markets would be, the narrative would be, oh well, there was this massive loo roll shortage, so everyone had to sell their stock in, uh, you know, Tesla or Spotify or something. Um, yeah, I think that's uh, food for thought, Sam. Uh, and uh, if you're listening to this, uh, well, hopefully, we'll, it's provided some food for thought for you. But that that is all we have for this week. That was episode 11 of Booze, Booms, and Busts, and we shall be back again next week i hope you enjoyed this uh, hopefully you're uh, you're staying safe and you're enjoying uh, your day uh, when you're when you're listening to this but we shall be back soon and we'll see you in the next one